Welcome back to The Drop, the stab podcast in which we break down this week in surf news. I am your pilot, Big Dick Power Surfer, and today my co-pilot, Mikey Ciramella, he was in Central America when we spoke, and Chip Wilson was walking around behind him shirtless. I think it was 1 a.m., and Chip was very recognizable, all the tattoos, walking around shirtless. Anyway, it's a punchy week this week. Mikey and I are going to talk about Stab in the Dark, episode 3. We are going to talk about how a Stab junior staffer almost ruined that entire project by losing Italo's boards kind of around Christmas, to add another twist to it. We're going to talk about Ethan Davis's conversation with Brisa Hennessy, who recently broke the news that she had been battling a brain tumor. We are going to talk about surf forecasting and slash or how a high school educated man who has one functioning eye and has been hit by multiple cars tries to look at swell maps and guess. That'll be interesting. And then we are going to jump in on a conversation that Stab founder Sam McIntosh had with Kelly Slater about entrepreneurship. I think that's a word, but it's a full conversation you're getting. It's going to be great. You're also getting some surf news, specifically Dane Reynolds re-signing with Buell, five years, good deal. We're going to have a surf sin, and then we're going to have an obituary on the program. So stick around for that. It's a big week. Let's 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 get to it, huh? All right, Mikey. I'd like to start the program today by extending a warm thank you to everybody who sent us. I mean, there was an outpouring of love, not only love but screenshots, following our last episode where we talked a lot about a little little something in the Middle East that might be a wave pool. Wow, you call it out, and we had quite a few options on Google Maps there, didn't we? We sure did, and to be fair, we're still not entirely certain we know which one is exactly true or which ones potentially. It's possible that there are multiple wave pools being built by Kelly Slater Wave Co. in the Middle East, so more to come on that, but we did get some interesting submissions at the very least. Yeah, I like that one that has that crazy island near it. I got a good feeling about that one. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but for now... I mentioned something on last week's pod that I guess I can kind of relate to the Middle East because it's also very hot and currently dry and dusty here. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm on a trip right now in Nicaragua with Felipe Toledo and Chippa Wilson. We're making another monster film and Chippa Wilson and Felipe Toledo. Does it like, what does your brain go to when you hear those two names together in a film? I mean, I'm I'm cheating because I saw a message in Slack where it was incredible because they're talking about the meaning of life. They're literally talking about, like, they're getting deep, it seems. I forget who asked who the question, but they're talking about, like, different paths they chose, and, like, it's it's deep. And there's just Will Stiles, uh, a stab filmer, director, he does everything, um, just holding up a background behind, I think it's Chippa. Um, and there's just this philosophical conversation going on. So I can't have the project come up without talking about that. It's just an incredible, I mean, it's like iPhone pan over clip. But other than that, wow, Felipe and Chippa, incredible pairing. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into what the film is going to be about yet. We're going to let that uh, come out, you know, a little bit later on when the film is actually coming to fruition. But um, yes, Will Styles is literally the backbone of Stab, which you'll see 
Uh, yeah, I think at some point we'll probably post the clip that Buck is talking about. I also want to mention that Will Stiles is not just the backbone of Stab, but he's the collarbone of Stab because the other day we've, we're basically staying um, on a beach that's basically just like a shorey, just like a dumpy closeout. And we went out for a little womp at sunset and Will decided to go on a bomb and got slammed into the sand, slammed his head so hard that he saw white and... We have a sneaking suspicion that he may have broken or fractured slightly his collarbone because he can't really lift his arm anymore. But he's still absolutely hammering this trip. He swam to the beach today through more shore break to film. And um, he's still scheduled to go on Stab Highway in just about a week from now. So, yeah, he's an absolute hammer. We're going to get him an x-ray when he gets home. But, um, yeah, Will Stiles, what a guy. Wow. There's a photo of him, too, from I think it was from Hawaii two seasons ago where the roof started leaking in the room where everybody had their computers for editing. And, like, I think a deadline for a project is, like, an hour away. Like, they're, an export's being done, and it's just not good. It's not good. And he's holding an umbrella <laughs> over the computer. And I would just extend that to everybody who thinks that, uh, that working in surf media in 2023 is just cruisy, do whatever. No, you hold umbrellas over computers to stop from everything lighting on fire. Yeah, so... I mean, if you don't have a will in your life, get get one. And also, one more thing. But don't steal ours. One more thing on this Felipe and Chippa thing. So we've been having a really good time with these guys. They've obviously been surfing insane. We've been chatting a lot. And one of the things that came up is that Felipe Toledo wants to compete in this year's Stab High. And we know that there are certain rules that the WSL has in place that basically disallows CT surfers from competing in outside events. However, Stab High is going to be scheduled for after the WSL Finals, and we do know that there are certain loopholes that can be made. So we're going to do everything in our power to make that happen. So WSL, if you're listening to this, we're coming for you, and we're, we're taking Toledo. You can, I mean, we're not taking him forever. Like, we can share him, but, like, it, it's going to be, yeah, come on. He has to do Stab High. Breaking news, Felipe Toledo has won the 2023 edition of Stab High. You heard it here first. Presented by Monster Energy. Presented by Monster Energy. Stab in the Dark with Italo Ferreira, episode three. Mikey, we are going to the final. Tell us. What do you want me to tell you? Tell us about the boards. I mean, we have a Stab in the Dark rookie involved against some Stab in the Dark greats. Yeah. Tell us about this episode. Give us a little behind the scenes. Paint us a picture. Maybe the oldest rookie of all time. Um, shit, who was the C-tier that made it late? There's somebody who made it when they were like 30, I remember. I mean, Ramsey was pretty... I don't think he was the oldest, but he was up there. He had given it a good crack. Maxime, those guys spent a while. Uh, Ricardo Martins, though, board looked all right. Not bad. Yeah, it sure did. So Ricardo Martins, he, to be totally, totally honest, is a name that I had never heard of. And I think that this is more indicative of just, well, one, I guess my lack of knowledge. And two, I mean, there just is really a disconnect between the Brazilian surf world and the kind of U.S. and Australian surf world. And I think that a large part of that, and that really became apparent to me through making Stab in the Dark, is just the language barrier. Like, seeing the way that Italo speaks in this film versus the way that we normally hear him speak, like, it's just so different. Like, you just get so many different layers and, um, you know, of thought, and there's just, like, depth there. And it just is lacking when you're obviously somebody who's speaking in a second language. Like, you speak 
a second language, I'm sure that you, you don't feel like you can express yourself the same way, you know, like crack jokes, etc. So I think that's a big reason that we don't know a lot about oh, Brazilian I got surf jokes. culture. Oh, you got jokes? Okay. <laughs> I, got, I got multilingual jokes. Okay, I'll hear them on the highway. Very ironic, though. <laughs> but I guess what I'm getting at is Ricardo Martins is actually like an extremely, extremely famous shaper in Brazil. He's perhaps like the kind of iconic Brazilian surfboard shaper. When we think of Brazilian surfboard shapers, we think of Marcio Zuvi, who's also in this episode, but he's obviously been living in the U.S. for a very long time. He built his brand in San Diego. And then Johnny Cabianca, but he's famous basically for one person who made him famous. And so we wanted to, when we're going to Brazil for this one, we wanted to bring in like the Brazilian guy and speaking with Steve Elaine, who is our producer, he's like, it's absolutely Ricardo. Everybody wanted his boards. Um, Andy Irons used to get Ricardo's boards when he went to Brazil in like the early to mid 2000s to, to ride over there because he thought that they were the best for those waves. So yeah, he is our stab in the dark rookie. And I don't know how old he is, but he definitely has been shaping for a very long time, multiple, multiple, multiple decades. Well, I remember seeing his logo now that it's on the board in this project, but I was familiar with his logo. Okay. Um, I didn't know that until the episode, I didn't know about his, how deep his history went, but Listen, you don't get an RM by me, okay? <laughs> so the other two shapers in this episode are Chili and DHD. So there's going to be four. Um, I, I, I referenced that Sharp Eye was in it as well. So one of those four shapers is going to get the last spot into the final. Of course, the final is going to premiere next week. And instead of it being on Thursday, we're actually working on doing a premiere live at Surf Ranch on Friday of next week. So we're not going to launch the, uh, the internet online version until that Saturday because we obviously don't want to spoil it, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, if you're looking for the final, that'll be next Saturday. I believe that's May 27th. And if you're going to the Surf Ranch, I think on Friday night, we're going to have a little special treat for you. Italo is going to be in attendance. Uh, the Shapers are going to be in attendance, the four finalists. So yeah, it's going to be a really, really good night. Get there. Get there now. Get there early. Go to the Tashi. Put on black. The Stab interview with Brisa Hennessy. So this is a wild story. Um, it's an interview, but it's an interview motivated by a bit of news that we got. Um, Brisa, shortly after competing in the 2022 Rip Girl Finals, WSL Finals that is, of course, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, specifically a non-cancerous pituitary adenema. Whoa. Pressing on some sketchy parts of her brain. So we had Stab's staff neuroscientist, which, I mean, Ethan Davis literally got a degree in this, was working in this field before we pillaged him from, uh, from doing brain stuff. So we had him catch up with her, and the chat is informative, but mostly just, I think, paints this picture of Brisa that was like, holy shit, she's been struggling with something really intense for over a year, and let's hear. Let's hear from Brisa. Gosh, where do I start? I think it definitely began last year where I started having a lot of um, really weird symptoms um, and I kind of brushed them off. I just had a lot of brain fog and um, like lack of clarity and, and motivation um, and a lot of fatigue, like super extreme fatigue and it would kind of come out of nowhere. Um, especially when I was under stressful situations, which I am a lot. <laughs> which is <your> girl. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I think that was one of the biggest um, 
symptoms that I had. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is not ideal. Um, and then I just started like watching my body change. And I, you know, obviously as an athlete and as a surfer, like we're constantly, you know, training and, you know, I make sure that I'm eating the right foods. Like nutrition is so important to me. And I just felt like I had so much inflammation and like, I don't know, I was like in this constant fight with my body and like, sometimes like my muscles would just kind of freeze up. And like, I clearly remember like in Tahiti, um, this one heat, like for some reason I just couldn't, couldn't paddle out. Like it was strange, like totally just froze up and, um, it was strange. It just progressively got worse and worse. And it was actually before the Tahiti event where we went and did some blood work. And, um, this was the day before we were leaving too, which is, we decided to do it. And, um, they, they diagnosed me with hypothyroidism, um, which is when your thyroid is not, you know, producing enough, enough hormones, you know, and your thyroid is in charge of so many things. Um, and so I was like, it was actually kind of a relief to kind of hear that I had that, you know, in some ways, but then I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is the last event before like the top five. And I was like ranked, I think five or something. And it was, it was a lot of different emotions. And I think I had to go like almost on overdrive and luckily Tahiti was, you know, a place that I felt like I really connected to and like got to slow down and not be too stressed out which I feel like stress is such a big trigger for me. Um, and then, of course, I did the the WSL finals, and I didn't feel that great there either. Um, and we just started to talk to more doctors in California. And one doctor thought that there was something wrong with my pituitary gland, which is um, inside your brain. And I ended up getting an MRI in Hawaii, and they found um, a benign tumor on there. Um, and luckily like most tumors in your pituitary are normally benign, which is super awesome, but they believe like it's pressing on the wrong parts of my pituitary, which is sending out the wrong hormones. And that's why I'm like constantly on this wave of emotion and fight with my body. Um, and so I've just felt like very out of touch with my body. And, um, I think the next six months looks a lot, looks a lot like healing and I think trying to take things slow. I think the unknown and uncertainty really gets to me. And I'm really grateful that, um, you know, I was awarded the wild card for next year. And I, I think it's kind of a crazy opportunity. Not many surfers, you know, are able to have like this time off um, to kind of, I don't know, to sit and breathe, you know, our life is so fast paced and, um, we're constantly on the move and um, I swear every year just like overlaps into the next year and like we never get to breathe. And um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to taking a moment to like pause and to, to slow down and, and really simplify, simplify my life, but um, really get motivated for next year and um, see how that comes. The Pirate's Guide to Surf Forecasting. Oh my God, this this stole so much of my time. Um, I promise this. I didn't want to let you, the the audience, down. Mikey, I believe you're looking for this right now. I see you looking on the screen. It's backdated. Um, I sure am looking for this. This was kind of just a bad idea that I pursued in full. 
<laughs> and it got me somewhere. <laughs> so this week, Magic Seaweed died. We have an obituary coming later in this program. Stick around for that. But I believe it was Tuesday. You know, it's morning. Get the coffee going. Maybe when it's time to check the phone, you you look at, you know, you pull up the Magic Seaweed app and it just hits me with this pop-up saying, you got to go surfline now. And I was like, shit, the day has finally come. I thought it was going to be a little bit further out. But the whole point of this was to was to build a guide for people who don't want to use Surfline or any other surf forecasting site to try to kind of make their own surf forecasts. Obviously, this is where that came from. People talk about how Sean Collins, who started Surfline, would get, you know, he's focused on California at the time, but like would get weather charts faxed in from New Zealand and he'd start to measure shit, literally take a ruler out and say, okay, if there's this much wind blowing what's that going to mean for the coast i was like okay what was he doing that was kind of my question was like what if he's just looking at a map and trying to estimate how much swell is coming and when that's all i want to do i don't need to say okay at 12 30 it's going to jump and it's going to be this big and then that big and it i was just like let me i just want to paint a picture for people who just want to be able to look at a wind map over the ocean and have an idea of like whether or not that'll send their coast waves and if so when it was a fucking doozy. Okay. So, importantly, Buck, how are the waves going to be when we arrive in France for Stab Highway next week? Okay. This is all new to me, Mikey. I mean, I've... Have I've you done looking, your own research? I've done my own research. Right now, we've got... So thank you, Ben, from Surfline, formerly of Magic Seaweed, who helped me with this. But Jetstream, the Jetstream can control the path of storms for Europe at least for where we're going to be in Europe, you want it to be a little bit further south so you're closer to the coastline that you're going to be surfing on. Right now, that fucker is hooking up north Uh into, like, the North Sea. Not ideal. Uh We're going to have something to ride. There's been fun waves all week. It's going to be okay. Nobody panic. But right now, I'm blaming the winds higher up in the atmosphere for for all of the problems in my life. So what does this equate to? Like, what are we going to be dealing with? Weather, winds, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you tell me. I'm not sure about, like, rain or not. I think there is some rain in the forecast, which one of those things, ooh, it's good because it's been drought, but it is. It is. It's been drought. So rain, it's a little bit of a soggy stab highway. That's fine. We're not going to have a drought. Um, But beyond that, in Portugal, we got a lot of north wind this time of year. And, like, that was blowing all week, and it's, like, when there's 20, 30-mile-hour wind blowing side shore all day, you're always going to have something to surf. Uh, the Goofies are going to be very happy with that. Like, there's just always little airwaves for the left. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time, Mikey. Back to this guide. Do your own goddamn research. This was... Very hard to build out, but I'm very happy with it. I think it gets some good information out there. If you give it the time, you're going to learn something. You're not going to get it right immediately. I'm not getting it right immediately. But I think with some practice, we can absolutely get to that level where we're looking at just wind fields over the ocean and having a general idea of what that means for the coast. That's all we want to do, folks. Okay, so I haven't read this yet. I'm excited to, but what's like the one big takeaway you have from it? A while ago, I heard this thing, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before, whereas if you get like, if you get the numbers from a buoy, swell, height, and period, you could just, 
multiply those together and go by 0.12 and get a rough idea of the phase height of the waves. I heard it in Hawaii. I think it's most accurate there. Um, and I heard it as 0.06 there because they do mm. they measure waves that way. So I was like, oh, is there any equations like that for like if you see wind blowing, like basically the factors that you have, biggest factors to create swell are wind strength, wind duration, and wind fetch, the area it's blowing over. And I was like, is there going to be some rough number for that? Like, because I hear these stories about Sean Collins, like he had to be doing something, right? Before there were supercomputers and all this information out there. I was like, what was he doing? Like, could he just have something where you're like, the wind is blowing this strong, so multiply it by this, it's blowing over this. Not really. That does not really exist. Uh, I was hoping I could find some sort of easy equation. If you go deep, like the shit that Surfun is doing is way more complex than what this piece lays out. This is still like the most stripped back I think you can get to have some idea of what's happening. But I was looking for that. Doesn't exist. There's still some things that exist that aren't as accurate as shit that's like factoring in the force of gravity and everything else that you need a super Gravity? Oh my god. No, it's really, it's, you can go, like I said, this was painful. This, it took me so long to write hours, hours and hours and hours. I'd say probably 15 hours to try to figure all this out and distill it into something where a photo of that guy doing the QAnon raid at the Capitol somehow made sense. I think it fits well in there. Uh, go check it out. Let's be pirates. Let's forecast. It's going to be good, everybody. Go get there. How I nearly lost Italo's stab in the dark boards. I did not nearly lose them. Holden did. We are going to hear from him. But Mikey, I think you told me that this is your favorite thing that he's written for us. I've loved a lot of what he's done, but our audience is just lapping this thing up too. It's a hell of a story. It really is. And Maybe I partially feel that way because it's basically my fault what happened to him. Uh, so there might be a little bit of survivor's guilt from that. <laughs> but yeah, basically, uh, Holden, we needed to bring some boards down to me so I could fly them down to Brazil, blah, blah, blah. He ends up going through the most hellish, like 36, 20, somewhere between 24 to 36 hour travel experience where he didn't actually travel anywhere is i guess <laughs> the the Nowhere. worst part yeah but uh <laughs> but yeah you, you you really should read the story it was incredibly well written you can tell that he poured his heart and soul into writing this and you could tell that like it affected him deeply and when you read it like he expresses that very clearly but you can actually feel the emotion sort of dripping out of his words and it's interesting because in this job like you and I both started as writers, you know, he is like a writer, so to speak. And it's weird because in this job, things happen so fast and you're responding to so many different things and there's Instagram and there's these, you know, like, uh, you know, partnership things that you have to work on. And very rarely do you get a chance to actually sit down and write something the way that you would, you know, if you were like, even in school or something, like it felt like you could like really put ideas down on paper and then go back and refine them and, you know, like actually put together a piece of writing. And I don't know, maybe for you, it's, it's different. Maybe I'm just, I get distracted too easily or something, but you can tell that Holden like really sat down and sort of poured everything into this piece. And yeah, like you said, it's being reflected in the comments. So it's a great read and yeah, you should go get into it. I don't want to spoil it because it, it really is a great story. Yeah, yeah, and good point. Good point about the writing thing. It is, it is funny. You get a job as a writer, you're like, I gotta write all day, and then it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're gonna have to deal with three million things, and then if by three p.m. when your brain is already fried because you've been just head down since eight, uh, write two thousand words. You're like, what? 
<laughs> but this is great. I have to say too, you you play the hand in this, and I I remember because this was right around Christmas, which is why I think the airport was so crazy. Uh, I saw him shortly after this, like within hours after, and I just remember I didn't have the context. Like he couldn't, I didn't have the context, and he didn't have the words at the time to <laughs> express just how bad it was. And I remember I was just like pretty relaxed. Like I had just spent the last. 36 hours. You know the cookies with the peanut butter and the little Hershey kiss? Oh, yeah. I was just hanging out. It's Christmas time. Eat the cookies. You know, cookies, some wine. It's uh, cookies. You know, peanut butter kiss ones. Very nice. Good <laughs> cookies. And this man just comes in. He's sleep deprived. He's just like, he literally looked so scarred. And I just did not understand what had happened. And I was just like, all right, see you later, man. And then I read this and I was like, oh, shit. That's what he was going through at this time. So He needed a hug, Buck. <laughs> He needed a hug. I did not give it to him. I didn't even give him one of those cookies. So let's hear from him. What's up, guys? Mikey, Buckley, Pod Dogs. It's Holden Turnka here, and I'm stoked to be back on the number one Challenger Series podcast for professional skiers. This week, I've got something a little different. It's kind of more of a catharsis, really, than an article. And it's about the time I almost lost It's a Little Stab in the Dark surfboards. Um, yeah, and it was a pretty, pretty traumatic travel experience. Maybe, maybe the most traumatic in my short 24 years. I mean, shitty airport experiences suck in the first place, but kind of to have the added layer of potentially being the Grom who ruined one of our biggest projects, that was not fun. Um, yeah, the story kind of follows me as I wind through a labyrinth of Tijuana airport clerks and angry German couples and lost surfboard bags and misplaced tickets and false hotel rooms. Um, it's pretty long. It's about 19 minutes. but uh, And I didn't anticipate it being that long. But um, once I started writing it, it sort of just felt like the, tr- the trauma needed to come out. <laughs> felt like I needed to write it in, in depth. And... Um, yeah, I don't recommend flying from Tijuana on Christmas, and I definitely don't recommend flying Volaris Airlines. I won't spoil how the story ends, but uh, I'll let you guys read it. And I saw there's already a bunch of real positive comments on there, and I really appreciate that. I am trying to buy a vowel from Brendan Buckley. We've been in negotiation. I could use a U for my last name, I think. But uh, it may be above my pay grade. So we'll see. I'll keep you guys updated. Cheers. It is with deep sadness that we announce the passing of Magic Seaweed. Born in 2000, Magic Seaweed quickly became a surf forecasting staple. With its user-friendly interface and comprehensive data, the site earned a loyal following among surfers around the world. In its free time, Magic Seaweed was passionate about running photo galleries of obscure British waves on their respective days of the season. While Magic Seaweed will be deeply missed, it is survived by Storm Surf, Swell Watch, Swell Net, Swell Map, Swell Info, Willy Weather, Buoy Weather, Windy, Surf Hyphen Report, Surf News Network, Surf.co.nz, uh, Surf 
Dashforecast.com, and that's some others. Magic Seaweed had been diagnosed with Surfline in 2017 and had bravely battled against it in its final years. It passed away quietly earlier this week, surrounded by its loved ones. I now invite you to pause for the next three minutes to reflect on the contributions Magic Seaweed made to your life and the lives of many others. The entrepreneurial ideology of Kelly Slater. You are going to hear this chat shortly. You're going to hear it, but... Mikey, let's give a little overview of it. So this week, Kelly Slater launched a sandal brand called Kelly. I saw an email. You've got a pair on the way. Yes. I wasn't sure if they could send them to Europe. Sometimes they would send shit to Europe, and then I'd get an invoice to pay for them. Might still give it a go. They look nice. You should have sent them to me. I'd bring them over for you. Ah, that would have been a good call. Anyway, Kelly is here, and Stab founder Sam McIntosh caught up with him to talk about the new brand, and in general, Kelly's entrepreneurial ideology because this man has won 11 world titles. I think this is his ninth business he started. He's like, describes himself as time poor in the interview, which, yeah, of course you are. You are still competing at the highest level and you have your hand in all these different things. It's, it's incredible what he's doing. It's it's something that you're kind of aware of, but I didn't really take the time to consider it. And I'm like, yeah, why? like. How is he fucking juggling all of this? It's insane. Uh, tell me, tell us about the new venture. Obviously, sandals is a, a natural thing. We're all living in sandals, so it was a pretty easy thing to to get behind and start working on. I just thought it was cool because I never really worked. I've had some signature stuff before with Quicksilver, and I I had a sponsor, a shoe sponsor, back in the day. Um, uh, in the '90s, but I never got involved in any of the design stuff, to be honest. Um, and so we were able to design this from the ground up and, um, I wanted something that was kind of fun, but also kind of drew on natural elements. Um, we sort of had a little bit of a laundry list of things we wanted to do. And obviously we wanted to do something that was somewhat sustainable or recycled, um, in the materials way, but also have a, a, a big say in the, the creative side of things. So. Um, so this is, is this your sixth venture? Cause you've got, you went Chaos Wave Co, Surf Ranch, Outer Known, Firewire, Dolphins. This is number six? Um, no, you did miss, you missed one project that is like my pet project I've been working on for years. Um, and it's, it's a, um, a recycled, oh. uh, repurposed wood company called Yorks. I got a friend up in, um, Nova Scotia and he is really passionate about wood and taking Part these old barns so we actually created it like a, a little company where we take this old timber and instead of people tearing them down and wood chipping it we we save all the the lumber and um we have like millions of board feet of wood at a sawmill that i own and um <laughs> it's kind of this project <laughs> but um uh we've just done our first couple of sales recently too so your legacy is uh is so significant. What's the driver to go and add all this work and extra, uh, I guess, what is it? It's just, but it's just work. What's your driver to keep adding this into your life? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, sometimes I get really overwhelmed and Kalani's just like, what are you doing? Don't you do anything more? Like, and, um, 
and I, I don't, I'm, I'm super time poor, but I have just a lot of ideas and a lot of things I'm passionate about. So I think it's probably just cause I'm interested in a lot of these things. And like, I don't know, I say with clothing, for instance, without or known, I made the bulk of my money in my career from Quicksilver and, you know, from clothing. And I didn't really know much about the, the, the process. I didn't know about supply chains. I didn't know about production and, and facilities we, or, or workers or any of that stuff. And yeah. I thought it was a little bit um, um, irresponsible of me not to know more. And that, that's a lot of the reason behind Outer Known for myself. And I was hoping that we could do something that would potentially kind of um, set the bar differently. I've always been really inspired by um, Yvonne Chouinard and what he's done in Patagonia. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, I've had dinner with Yvonne a few times and got to know him a little bit. And we have obviously a lot of mutual friends, the Malloy brothers who were with them forever. And um, my old neighbor was one of their head designers. And I lived in Santa Barbara for a while. So I was around kind of in that ecosystem for a long time. And um, I think the more people that approach business and, and um, design and, 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 and uh, textiles and that kind of thing, like Yvonne has, the better world we're going to have. So I, I heard some story where he had the heads of these big corporate conglomerates like Walmart and, you know, people like that. I, I don't know who specifically, but like um, at, at his place at the ranch and a couple of people got upset. Like, why are you bringing those people here? We don't, you know. And he goes, you change those people's minds, you change the world. And, um, you know, I just thought that's, that's what networking should be. That's what social media should, should, should be used for in technology and, and, um, um, you know, net, networking around the world and, and creating change with people at the top is really important. And so if, if we have access to do that, I, I think it's not an obligation of anyone, but if it's on your mind and you can do it, I think you should. If you look at the projects, if so there's probably seven or eight. I missed those couple. Which ones? Which ones have been the most rewarding so far? Surf Ranch is really like our our pet project, and now I think you're starting to see in that industry that you know a wave technology is one thing, and making a real estate property or whatever is a is a different thing. They don't have to be like together. You know, you can you can be in one thing or the other thing. And funny enough, Waco launched their uh first images the day we had the contest at surf ranch the first contest at surf ranch and i was like oh man this these guys have done good i was like <laughs> i was just like oh this is and I, I could tell it was a different approach but also something we didn't have you know with the air section or whatever like we got the perfect wave we got the barrel we got the sort of like ring cons sort of super bank kind of wave but um you didn't have that one section where you can do the big air or whatever so i i've had a lot of fun at the wave garden one too down in melbourne and you know i'm 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 not like anti any of this stuff i'm i, I think it's all great and um the first way somebody pitched it to me um was that you know there's boeing and there's airbus and there's cessna and there's all these different types of planes you need them all and you know the more the merrier for for surfing i think it's it's more fun for all of us so. Yeah, and it's it's really crazy that you can turn a brand around because um, I believe you were trying to buy CI and before you bought uh, Firewire. And then Firewire, like you Taj broke them forever. 
and he'd have a Taj would have a heat with Mick, and Mick would be like, "Oh, good luck on your firewood," and it was like the brand has just you flipped it so much in a really short time, and it's amazing that a brand can turn around like that because it it did have that stigma, right? Like I was my partner Jeff who brought up the idea, and he said, "Look, I think there's a a huge potential for growing this company, bringing other people in, which we have with like Rob and." You, know, you see what Tom has done with his brand and we have Dan Mann and we have a, a lot of different people. Um, you know, Rob loves what he's doing because he has his custom thing, but he also has his, his uh, you know, larger brand in, in Firewire. And uh, I wanted to have that freedom of being able to, I, I felt kind of guilty a lot of years because I, I got boards from Simon, I got boards from Morris. I got, you know, I'd go and get boards from different people and I, Al came down to see me surf trestles once and I won on assignment. I was like, man, I feel so bad. And he goes, Al just goes, Kelly, you ride what's going to help you win. Don't worry about me. And I was just, that's amazing. But, uh, you know, I always did have a sort of sense of a little bit of guilt around that or whatever. I, I wanted to make Al proud on his board. Well, and on top of it all, he seems less excited about any of it except for his lumber company, which nobody has heard anything about until this story. Yeah. His lumber company. What the fuck? <laughs> Kelly Slater's slinging wood. He's slinging wood. Incredible wood, it sounds like. Some of it's out of rivers. It's, it's old bar. It's incredible. Mikey, anything else that sticks out to you? I have two more things I want to call out. Uh, just that Kelly does seem to be ripping Holden Turnka a little bit by naming his brand Cooley. Cooley? Cooley? Yeah. Cooley. Yeah. I should have called that out. Kelly, there's no E in the Cooley. Cooley. <laughs> So needs of Al Holden, inspiration. You're inspiring. You're inspiring all of us. So a few things I want to call out. Al Merrick seems like the best person on the planet. Um, the part that gets into Kelly's relationship with him is just like I, I just felt warm inside. One thing I need to call out though. Um, Kelly said the last time that he had been to the ranch was for his daughter's bachelor and bachelorette party and i'm not okay with that doing a combined bachelor and bachelorette party with your father too i just it's i didn't know that that exists yet and so i was a little bit jarred by it yeah i mean what what do you like your dad's kelly you can get access to the pool it's it's kind of a hard thing to turn down i don't know if it was his idea or her idea but like i mean i get it i hope that they have their own sort of debaucherous nights aside from this but in order to get access to the pool, you probably had to frame it as something significant in your life. And this is, it sounds like mm. she's getting married. So it sounds like that was probably the go. Yeah. And I guess you can't really pick one side, you know, you can't be like, Oh, well, Kelly's my daughter. So like only the bachelorette party, cause I can surf. The well, that's a power move. The bachelor. She should have done that. That would be, that would be funny. That would be such a flex. If he's just like, no, you guys figure it out. <laughs> go to Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Kelly Slater sent his future son-in-law's bachelor party <laughs> to the wave in Bristol, which is a great wave, which looks incredibly fun, but just be like, you guys have to get... Well, according to Kelly, the end bowl needs a little bit more punch. Yeah. Oh, deep wave pool talk as well. But we're going to cover a few more things. We've got more Challenger Series action on at the moment. You can't not bring it up. You can't not watch it. It's very hard for me to watch it. It is on the other side of the planet. I'm usually sleeping when it's on, but we are a Challenger Series podcast have to mention it. We have a bit of news, a bit of industry news. Dane Reynolds had signed a contract with Buell two years ago. He just re-upped for five years. We've got the details and a story that you can read on the site. 
We've got some more good stuff coming. We have got the Stab in the Dark final ep. You had mentioned that as well as the premieres. Um, on that surf forecasting thing, pretty much not quite the opposite of what I wrote, but there's talk of El Nino coming back. It seems really likely for next, in the coming months, let's say. And so Paul Evans interviewed El Nino. Um, he well, decided that instead of trying to say, hey, this is how El Nino works, he was just going to give El Nino a personality. El Nino told him to fuck off at one point. It's it's an interesting read, but it'll tell you everything you need to know about what El Nino is without being incredibly dry and painful to read. So that's coming. And then we Paul's have got... talking to little kids again. I thought he got past this. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't stop the guy. He just does it. So that's coming. We have got a story on Patty's out the the snowboarder i don't know what to call her she is a professional snowboarder but she's i think 12 so it's hard to call a 12 year old a professional snowboarder but she is beijing born living in colorado you might remember that clip that we posted of her doing some of the most absurd surfing i think we talked about quitting surfing on the podcast as a result of watching this 12 year old professional snowboarder just doing backside mute grab reverses as if it was not a thing at all. We've got an interview with her, and it's fascinating because she's got a fascinating life. So a ton of, a ton on the site at the moment, a ton coming up. And now it's time for a search in. Hey, Buck. Hey, Mikey. Um, search in Tuesday. I'm 16. Uh, I was 13 when this happened, and uh, there are three principal players it's me my friend and her stepdad my friend is my age too um so we we're both 13 when it happened i'd already been surfing for three years she was starting out and her stepdad had already been surfing for god knows how long um so me and her stepdad sitting out in the lineup uh mako shark jumps out of the water about give or take 20 yards out front um she's paddling back out after catching a wave um, and she was still kind of starting out step, her stepdad told me, um, don't tell her about the shark. She asked if it was a dolphin. We said, yeah. And, uh, haven't told her since. So let me know what penance I should get. All right. So interesting sin. This is, we've heard stuff like this before the old, I saw a shark, didn't tell anybody. Um, we had the guy. It's hard to beat that guy who got bumped, but guess you know this kid's a child. It looks like he's got he's got a book in front of him. I see it's highlighted, so he's got time to just be a worse person and get bumped by a shark and not tell anybody. But a comment to call out is from Nick Saunders, who said, "Wait until your friend has partner and child manufa- manufacture a breakdown in the relationship between her and her partner." Now it's time for you to step in. You are the stepfather now. You have to go surfing with the child and one of the child's friends regularly until you see a dolphin. You need to scream out shark in the lineup and grab the kids and head in. Make it dramatic. Should reverse the penance. I am so confused. This is wild. Um, I Just not only uh, destroying a relationship, but also at this point he's waiting until they have kids. It's... I don't think the kids should do this, but uh, interesting choice of language there. Interesting choice of pens. Nick, uh, keep doing your thing, brother. That was interesting. Okay. Mikey, what do you got? What's your take on the sin? What are we thinking? Well, 
I just I do want to before I you know give this kid his penance. I do want to call out that he has got surf posters, multiple surf posters on his Everybody's, bedroom wall. I mean, I don't know where he gets them anymore. It's it's pretty rad. It's I, I mean definitely harkens back to my childhood. And yeah, it's just really cool to see. And a lot of people in the Instagram comments called that out as well. And so, so good on you, buddy. Um, as far as the penance goes, I, as you know, am based now in Costa Rica. And over the new year, I had an interesting experience. So they have these like little festivals in some of the like kind of small towns in Costa Rica, like the ones that truly are not <laughs> basically populated by americans who bought their vacation home down there like people who actually like grew up in costa rica like the fucking natives and it's really really cool they basically build this giant ring out of wood and then they build all these stands and they basically have this big night or sometimes more than a night but of uh it's it's a huge party and then the main attraction is bull riding but in costa rica they do bull riding a little bit differently it's not just the person riding the bull who gets in on the action but anybody in the stands who wants to can actually enter the ring themselves and sort of you're just sort of standing there and if you've seen endless summer too you've probably seen this and it still happens to this day so basically somebody rides the bull for as long as they can you know they try to do as well as they can because they're actually getting paid it's like a you know it's a competition on their end but as soon as they fall off the bull then it's just free reign and the bull does whatever the fuck it wants. And basically that this is like another competition in and of itself where people try to basically get as close to the bull as possible (laughs) without getting gored by the thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's tremendous fun. Um, and, and yeah, I, I went into the ring this time and I definitely was not, uh, like one of the people that was fucking running right next to the bull. I'm not at that level of um, bravery or insanity, but seeing people do it was really cool. There were even some kids in there, which kind of like was like, what the fuck? Like you're a kid, but I don't know. It seems like that's something that they'd like grown up doing. So I don't know. This is really neither here nor there. Just I kind of got there from the shark thing and that being like, you know, an apex predator and bulls also being big, dangerous animals, but on land. So my penance is you have to go to Costa Rica sometime in the next, you know, well, let's say two years because you're 16. So do it before you're legally an adult. And you have to enter one of these bull rings and get chased around a little bit. Don't, don't wow, actually like get gored. I'm going to feel bad if, um, yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, a mm. little bit of child abuse. But anyway, yeah, it, just just enough to scare you enough to like kind of uh, set your senses right so that next time that you're around a big, scary animal, you let somebody else know so that they don't um, potentially get attacked. I like it. I like telling children to to go into bull rings that's good i good penance mine's worse but i'm gonna deliver it anyway um <clears throat> this kid looks smart you know you know some people just kind of look smart he looks mm. very aware you know you look at me you're probably like, oh that guy's gonna have a hard time this kid <laughs> he looks like he's smart um so first of all ooh, mako shark what a I guess when he's in college studying to be a fucking marine biologist he's just calling out <laughs> the species name already um when he's in college, because right now he's at 16, he's at this kind of thing where you don't really dress up for Halloween. I think there's kind of this gulf, right? Like, it's like you're a kid, and you're doing Halloween because you're a little kid, and then when you're in your teenage years, you're just like, oh, that's lame. I bet he's there now, but then it ramps back up when you get to kind of college age, and like I said, he's a smart guy. He's going to study marine biologists because he's like, Mako sharks. <laughs> um, so when he's in college studying to be a marine biologist, um at a university with incredible 
incredible biology department, just best in class, one of the most renowned. I don't know which one, but he'll know. He's smart. Scripps Institute, UCSD. Scripps Institute, UCSD. When he's studying to be a marine biologist there, great internship lined up too. So he's going to go there for four years, right? Um, he could probably get it done sooner. He's one of those types, but he wants to enjoy it. He wants to surf. He wants to enjoy his four years. So he'll be there in that program. And when he's there, I need him to dress as a dolphin for Halloween for all four years. All uh, four. The first year is wow. going to be a little bit weird. He's going to be a freshman. It's early in the school year, so he's going to be like meeting people, a little bit unsure of it. Second year, it's like you're the dolphin again. Third year, it's like kind of funny. Fourth year, it's peak. You've made it through four seasons as a dolphin. The costume's probably in tatters, so it's going to be a good time. But basically, because he's smart, I know he's going to college to study marine biology. When he's studying to be the marine biologist, he needs to be a dolphin for four straight years through college. Um, that's my penance. Wow. I actually really like that because it's also he's going to go through so many stages of like perception from the outside world. Like, like you said, the first one's going to be a little weird. The second one, I think people are going to be like, oh, like poor guy. Like he doesn't have enough money for another costume. So he has to yep. use last year's. And then by the third, it's like, like, oh, this guy's like really into dolphins, huh? Like that's kind of weird. And like then they really start to question what he's doing in this marine biology uh, major. And then by the fourth one, I think he reaches sort of like legendary status because then you're like in on the joke, right? It's either that or you're like highly autistic. Yeah, yeah. If you repeat a bad joke enough times, it's funny. It's true. You just can repeat it into humor. So that is what he's going to be up against. It's going to be a fight with this dolphin costume. (laughs) But... uh, by the time he's in that senior year, he's got a great job in he's gonna make one hundred and twenty five thousand US dollars in his first year, which is wow. great. That's in really his first great. year outside of college it doing some study, it's with the wind farms and they're trying to figure out the dolphins, the marine biology. He's gonna be working on that, studying some stuff. Great job lineup, because he had a great internship. Um, so it's his last year of Halloween and everybody knows him. He's got these strong relationships and he will just look around and be like, life is pretty good. I am a dolphin. (laughs) Um, And so that's my penance for him. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Well, you got your two options or three as it stands and go and have some fun. Go run in a bull ring, dress up as a dolphin, be a stepdad, do whatever you got to do. Do what you got to do and have fun. Don't let the end overshadow the beauty of the journey. Instead, treasure the footprints it left behind. We'll see you next week, folks.